Hi, my name is Micah, and this is my church. Today I'll be reading from Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, you delight in truth and in the inward being, and you will teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God. O God of my salvation and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips and my mouth will declare your praise. For you will not delight in sacrifice, or I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. O God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then will you delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings, and in whole burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Hey everybody, good morning and uh, welcome to Christ Community Chapel. So, so glad that you are here. Uh, welcome those of you over at our East service, those of you who are tuning in online, uh, welcome. Uh, this is gonna be a great, great week and a great day. A uh, great week uh, because we have kids camp coming up, which is why I am representing. And uh, kids camp is uh, one of the greatest weeks of the year for us. Uh, we go all out for kids camp because Jesus says that children are precious in his eyes, so they are precious in our eyes. So if you're volunteering for this coming week, thank you so much. It means a ton. If you're not able to volunteer, then please pray. Uh, pray that every child has a great time, but more than that, that they hear of how much Jesus loves them. That's our goal, all right? Today is going to be great because it's Baptism Sunday. We have 38 people who are going to be baptized today, which means we have 38 people who are taking the step to go public and say, I belong to Jesus. And we love, love, love baptism service here at CCC. All right, before I get to the message, uh, let me, I need to ask a favor for, from those of you who are members here at CCC. If you're not a member and you'd like to become one, you just take our reimagined class, that's our membership class, easy to sign up for, you can do it online or out in the atrium, there's a kiosk that has guest services, you can sign up there. But if you've already gone through Reimagine and you are a member, here's the favor. Uh, Pastor uh, Zach Wyrock has just finished his fifth year here at CCC, and he has been a gift for me since uh, day one. 
18 months ago, I announced uh, at a members meeting on behalf of the elders our plan for succession. And I said then that in the fall of 2023, which is now, we would take the first step toward succession. And uh, it's very, very similar to what we did 20 years ago uh, between me and Jim College. And when Jim and I took that first step towards succession, we called it being co-pastors. Uh, and what we were doing was we were going to share the responsibility and the burden of uh, leading a church like this. And it was our joy to do that. And it really helped both of us, helped me to grow into the role, and it helped Jim uh, just to shoulder the responsibility. We're going to do a similar thing. We're not going to call it co-pastoring. I'm going to stay being the senior pastor so that you know that the buck stops with me. Uh, but uh, I would like to make, uh, to put Zach in the position of being lead pastor so that he will do exactly what I did 20 years ago, which will shoulder some of the responsibility and also it'll allow him to grow into that uh, position but it will also uh, help me in giving me more longevity. I feel like I will last longer with his help. So uh, this is what's gonna happen in two weeks. You're gonna get an email if you're a member and the, uh, the email will just ask you to vote. And uh, the constitution doesn't require it, but we want a vote of affirmation on this direction that we're going. So if you love Zach, vote yes. If you want me to hang around a little longer, vote yes. And uh, so that's my request. So. All right, thanks. All right, we are continuing our series in Psalms, and we are at Psalm 51, which is a famous Psalm of David. Maybe more accurately, it's, a, it's an infamous Psalm. It's a Psalm that David wrote when he blew his life up. And one of the things I told you a few weeks ago that I love about the Bible is the Bible doesn't Photoshop anyone. The Bible shows people uh, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and here with David, we see him as all three in this psalm. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Psalm 51. Uh, if you have an app on your phone, you can pull out your phone or a tablet. Or if you're going to use one of our Bibles here in the sanctuary, in the pews, or over in the back of East Hall, it's on page 443. Page 443. All right, in order to understand Psalm 51, you really have to understand the context of the psalm. And the context is given to us at the very beginning in the subtitle of the psalm. And this is the subtitle of the psalm. It says, a psalm of David when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone in to Bathsheba. Okay. Let me give you the story. You can find the story in 2 Samuel chapter 11. But this is the story. There's a man named Uriah. And Uriah was one of the most loyal and trusted friends of David. He was one of 37 men that had protected David when David was the most vulnerable. So in many ways, David owed his life to those 37 men, one of whom was Uriah. Uriah was married to a woman named Bathsheba. Now, in 2 Samuel 11, Uriah was out to war. He was in, in battle. David was in Jerusalem. Bathsheba caught David's eye. David ends up sleeping with her, and she gets pregnant. And so then David uh, needs to try to cover his tracks, so he comes up with a plan. And his plan is to bring Uriah home from the battlefield. 
And uh, he brings him home ostensibly to give him a report on how the battle's going. But he takes him to the palace, he feeds him, gives him a couple of glasses of wine, uh, ends up saying, uh, asking him a bunch of questions, and he says, hey, listen, it's too late for you to go back to the battlefield. I'll tell you what, just go home, uh, you know, have a bath, sleep in your own bed, have sex with your wife. I don't know how he slid that in, but he did. <laughs> and uh, Uriah says, no, I can't do that. My men are sleeping on the ground. They're risking their lives. I won't go home and have that kind of comfort. So he sleeps on the stairs of the palace. He has a ton of integrity. But that forces David to go to plan B. And plan B was to uh, give a message to Joab, who's the general. And the message was, I want you to send Uriah and a few other men on a super dangerous mission. And then I want you to withdraw all support so that he will get killed. And Joab uh, goes ahead and does that. And sure enough, Uriah is killed with a few other guys. Bathsheba goes into mourning. When she comes out of mourning, then David takes her to be one of his wives, and he thinks it's all done. And then Nathan, who's a prophet, goes to David, and he preaches one of the best sermons ever. He says this, Oh, King David, I have a story for you. And David says, I love stories. Tell me the story. And Nathan says, there, were, there was a a very wealthy man with a ton of sheep, a huge flock of sheep, hundreds and hundreds. And he lived next door to a poor man who only had a single lamb. And the lamb was more like a, a family pet. But the rich guy had some friends visit him. And instead of taking one of his own sheep, he stole the sheep, the lamb, from his poor neighbor. And he slaughtered that lamb and he fed it to his guests. And David is incensed. And David says, I can't believe that guy would do that. That's terrible. He deserves to die. Does he think there's no justice in my kingdom? Who is this guy? Who is this man? And then Nathan turns to David and he says, oh, David, thou art the man. Thou art the man. Killer, right? Mic drop right there. A few things I want you to know before I give you the three points that I want to pull out of this psalm, all right? The first is this, if that can happen to David, it can happen to anyone. If that can happen to David, it can happen to anyone. This, David loved God. He loved God. He wrote most of the Psalms, which means he taught the world how to pray. He was described in the Bible as a man after God's own heart. I would love to be described as a man after God's own heart. David was sensitive, he was a poet, he was a warrior, he was brave, he was a great leader, he was generous, he was everything. And he blew his life up. If it can happen to David, it can happen to you, and it can happen to me, right? Do not go through life thinking that you are so much better than King David that this could never happen to you. That's the first thing. The second thing is that we all need Nathans in our lives. We need someone who will tell us when we are starting to go off the rails or when we have gone off the rails. And that's why, in many ways, it's important to keep coming to church. Even when you're not doing particularly well with God, keep coming because sometimes whoever's preaching can be like a Nathan to you, can talk to you in such a way that will pull you back.
But the third thing is this, that God never gives up on anyone. You cannot fall so far away from God that there's not a way back to be restored to him. There's not a way back to say what David says, create in me a clean heart, restore a steadfast spirit within me. Return to me the joy of your salvation. Open my lips so my mouth will praise you. You can't go so far that you can't come back. But the way back, there is only one way back. And that way back is called repentance. Repentance. And a lot of people, a lot of us think we know what it means to repent. And I really don't think many of us do. So here are the three points that I want to pull out of this psalm. And these are the three things you must be willing to do if you are going to repent. And this really is the key to being intimate with God. Because you're going to need to repent from time to time. It's almost like uh, in a marriage, conflict resolution is one of the keys to intimacy. If you don't know how to resolve a conflict, you can never get really close. It's that way with God. You need to learn to repent. Here are the three things you need to be willing to do. You need to be willing to recalibrate. You need to be willing to confess and be willing to grieve. Recalibrate, confess, and grieve. This is what I mean. You must be willing to recalibrate. Look at what he says in verse 4. David says, For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me against you, and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. That's such a weird thing to say. That David would say, oh, you're uh, against you and you only have I sinned. It seems like he sinned against a bunch of people. Uriah, you know, not being the least. Uriah's family, Joab dragging him, Bathsheba, the whole army he betrayed. I mean, he sinned against the tongue. Why would David say to God against you and you only have I sinned? What David is saying is, God, you are the one who determines what's right and wrong. You are the one who determines what is good and evil, what I should feel guilty about and what I shouldn't feel. He is re-educating himself and he's saying, listen, it's not in the eyes of Joab that I have sinned. It's not in the eyes of the army. It's not even in my own eyes. It's in your eyes. When I say you must be willing to recalibrate, your conscience is what you use to determine what is right and wrong. And there are all kinds of things that are at work on your conscience all the time. Your conscience is a little bit like a smoke detector. You know, a smoke detector has to be calibrated. I think it's very hard to calibrate a smoke detector correctly. Because uh, you can have a smoke detector that's way too sensitive, where you, you you brown your toast a little bit too much in the morning and it starts screaming. That's the way mine is. You can, uh, or you can have a smoke detector where you open the oven, smoke billows out, nothing happens, right? That's the, that's the way your conscience is. Who decides what's right and wrong for you? That's why it's so important for you to know God's word. Is it the cult, our culture? Surely not. Is it your friends that determine what's right? Is it you, your own heart? Who, who decides whether it's right or wrong for you to sleep with your fiancé? Who decides whether it's right or wrong for you to decide to give or not give, serve or not serve, hold a grudge, not hold a grudge? Who decides? What David says is, oh God, you are the one who decides. You're the one who must decide what is right and wrong, what I should and shouldn't feel guilty about. 
If you're ever going to really repent, you have to be willing to say to God, you are the one I will count on to recalibrate my conscience. And the more you understand the Bible, the more accurate your conscience will be. That's the first thing. And the second thing is confess. David says, uh, I have sinned. I have done evil in your sight. When I say confess, I mean you have to take complete responsibility for what you've done. And that's really hard to do. Here's a question. Why do people do bad things? Why does anybody do a bad thing? I was coming back from vacation a couple of weeks ago and uh, driving and I saw a little bit of road rage. And so I was you know, being careful. But if I was able to pull over the guy who was the most egregious and driving in the most dangerous way, and I were to say, what are you doing, man? Why are you driving the way you're driving? He would have said, did you see what he did to me? Right? There's, there's always this inclination to, to relieve our responsibility and say, no, no, you don't understand. Right? And that's in our DNA. That goes way back to Adam and Eve. Like when Adam sinned, God said to Adam, Adam, what have you done? What have you done? What did Adam do? Adam was like, mm. the, the woman is a problem. And then Adam actually said this, you know, and come to think of it, you're the one who gave her to me, so if the shoe fits, God, I don't know. You should. We always want to shift responsibilities. David, David could have done that. You know, David could have said to Nathan, Nathan, you have no idea, do you have any idea of the kind of pressure I'm under? Listen, it wasn't my fault. Bathsheba shouldn't have been out in the open like that. That was crazy. What about, I mean, the guy who I sent to get her should have just said to me, no, David, don't do that. Right? Somebody should have helped me. But that's not what he does. He takes complete responsibility. I remember reading this years ago where it said most people can only pretend only pretend to be sinners, so they only pretend to be forgiven. You cannot really be forgiven until you take complete responsibility. It means you have to be willing to say, circumstances may be the occasion of my sin. I may have been sinned against, been hurt deeply, and that's why I did what I did, right? Circumstances may even shape the way I have sinned, but make, make no mistake, I sinned, and I did what I did because I wanted to. And it was my choice. I did that. Right? Until you're willing to do that, you have not really repented. So the first thing is you have to allow, be willing to let God recalibrate your conscience. The second thing is you have to be willing to confess and take full responsibility for whatever sin you have done. And the third thing is you have to be willing to grieve. And for me, this is the most elusive. This is the hardest one. This is what uh, David says in verse 1. He says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. That phrase, steadfast love, that is the deepest, most wonderful love that you can ever experience. That is the love your soul longs for. And David says that right at the beginning of this psalm, when he has blown up his life, he looks at God and he reminds himself 
of the steadfast love of God. If you were here last week, you heard Pastor Zach preach on Psalm 136. Psalm 136, 26 verses long. At the end of every verse, 26 times in that psalm, the psalmist says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. And Pastor Zach painted this amazing picture uh, at one point in his sermon where he took a story out of 2 Chronicles where Judah, the nation Judah, was being uh, attacked by three different armies that had combined. And the king of Judah, Jehoshaphat, had just thrown himself to God and just said, God, we're going to get wiped out unless you do something. God sent a prophet to Jehoshaphat and said, I will fight for you, but you still have to go into battle. And then Jehoshaphat did a great thing. And this is what struck me with when Zach was telling the story. Jehoshaphat took worship leaders and he set them between his army and the enemy that was attacking and that the worship leaders were supposed to turn and sing over the soldiers as they went into battle. And they were like, the way Zach described it, they're facing the army of Judah and they're singing. And the thing they're singing is this, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Take a step. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. Take another step. Don't look at them, look at us. And then the way Zach ended his sermon is he said, I don't know what you are facing, what kind of uh, thing is attacking you right now, but I know who stands between you and it. And it's Jesus. And I know what Jesus is saying to you. He's saying, don't look at it, look at me. Don't look at that, look at me. And Jesus is singing over to you, and what he's singing is this, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. And when Zach said that, it was like tears came to my eyes. Because I thought, oh, how wonderful is it that the God of the universe, that his love is the love that I really am desperate for. That's what David wounds himself with right here. It's so interesting to me because so many times when I repent, I think I, I repent because I feel bad. I repent because I want to feel better. I repent because I, I grieve the consequences of what I've done or whatever has happened like that. But David doesn't even care about the consequences. He says, listen, God, you, your judgments are just. Do whatever you want. I just want you. I want you. What, David, what happened inside of David is David realized that he didn't break the law of God as much as he broke the heart of God. And until we see God's heart, and still until we see the steadfast love of God when we sin, we will never really grieve our sin. And if you don't grieve your sin, you will not stop your sin. This is the truth. This is the truth. That you cannot move so far away from God that there is not a way back. I don't care what you've done. I don't care where you are right now or what's going on in your life. You cannot be so far away that you cannot come back to God. But there's one way back, and that's repentance. You have to be willing to allow God to be the one who decides what's right and wrong for you. In every, and that means you have to know his word. You have to be willing to confess, to take full responsibility and say, this is what I've done, and I've done this. But then you have to remind yourself it's not so much the law of God, 
but it's the heart of God that you break when you sin. That I want to look in the eyes of Jesus and say, I am so sorry for someone who loves me like you love me. You don't deserve for me to treat you like this. I want to obey you. And if you are willing to do that, then you will do, we will be able to say what David says, which is you'll be able to say, create in me a clean heart. Right? Renew a steadfast spirit within me. You'll be able to say, open my lips, and with my mouth I will sing your praise once again. Restore to me the joy of your salvation, and it will be restored. Such is the promise of God whose loving kindness never ceases. Let's pray. Uh, Father in heaven, we come to you, and uh, I am so grateful. I'm grateful that uh, you don't Photoshop the people in the Bible and that you allowed us to see into David's life. You uh, allow us to see him blow his life up, and then you uh, show us Psalm 51, how a man after your own heart uh, comes back to you through repentance. I pray for all of us, those uh, who might be far away from you right now, I pray that this will start their trek back to you. And I pray for those who are uh, maybe not, who feel close to you right now, that we will remember this when we sin against you. Thanks for your love. Remind us of your steadfast love, even today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.